The podcast you are about to listen to contains spoilers for the latest episode of American Gods. If you haven't watched the episode yet, we suggest you pause this show until you have. Welcome to Backstage, a podcast from The Shift about the television series American Gods. I'm Brian Huff. And I'm Tori Briggs. And we'll be your hosts on this journey through American mythology. On today's show, Episode 2, The Secret of Spoon. So this episode starts out not with what we hoped. We did not get the uh, resolution to exactly how Shadow is saved from the lynching, um, which I know was probably highly disappointing to you as well, Tori, as it was to me, because I thought that that would be the natural place to start off with uh, the second episode. Yeah, it's like give us some closure to uh, what just happened, right? Yeah. But even though that wasn't the case, this episode started out with a bang for sure. I I love this opening scene. Yeah, so we get our second Coming to America vignette, and in this one we are introduced to Anansi, who is the African trickster god, is probably the best way of describing him, Um, and he goes on this crazy monologue, so he's on this ship full of African slaves. Clearly this has to be one of the first ships to transport slaves to America because no one is, has any idea what's going on. It's not like, oh, we've been enslaved and here's what's going to happen to us. It's more just like we don't know why we're on this boat. And he proceeds to tell them what life is going to be like for the next 100 years. Once upon a time, a man got fucked. Now how is that for a story? Because that's the story of black people in America. Yeah, he tells them, he calls it the, the story of America, of black people in America. And he makes the comment, he's like, oh, you don't even know you're black. It's like those, those Dutch folks upstairs, they, they've told you you're black and now you're black. And yes. they're white. And that's just the way it is. And it kicks off a theme that runs not as thoroughly through this episode as, say, the the topic of faith ran through last week's episode, but makes a reoccurring appearance throughout the episode. And it's kind of crazy to think about it. I think what's more most powerful about this initial monologue from Orlando Jones is it's saying things that are obvious. It's saying things that we know, but that's what makes it so impactful because nobody just comes out and says these things. And we basically get, what, three, four minutes of the most uncomfortable, from a social standpoint, uh, set of facts that I think anybody would want to hear about race. And it's hard to debate any of them. Yeah, I mean, the monologue is spot on. And it's especially um, like it, it, especially because of like the re- recent news with, with police and everything going on like it's it's spot on for things currently happening in society and i think orlando does he does an amazing job here he has like this cadence with the way he talks and i I have no idea if if it correctly portrays 
the character out of the book, but I think he's he's owning this one. It's in it, it, it was a really good performance. Yeah, it's definitely been updated a tad to include some of the more recent uh, events. Obviously, I mean, he starts off with the amazing quote: "The only good news is the tobacco your grandkids are gonna farm for free. It's gonna give a shitload of these white motherfuckers cancer." Yeah, yeah, that that was pretty good. That's a pretty good line. Which is just crazy. But then he takes it one step further and he starts talking about what is going to happen over the next hundred years and the next hundred years, talking about the future. A hundred years after you get free, you still getting fucked out of job and shot at by police. You see what I'm saying? As you mentioned, referencing some of the more recent events um, that have been happening with police brutality and the black lives matter movement and things like that yeah and and i like the way he ends it like he he says and all for what for cotton for indigo for a purple shirt and then he he straightens his own purple shirt and it made me think um like the juxtaposition of the setting with and then with his like the way he's dressed in his suit and it makes sense that he shows up that way because because of that time setting They'd never seen anybody dressed like that. He would look really like supernatural and godly to these people yep. dressed in this like magnificent purple suit and tie. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And he kind of ends it with probably the best line from the episode, in my opinion. Angry is good. Angry gets shit done. Yeah, if you take uh, like power as a theme, for example, and like uh people people pray to gods and have faith in gods to give them power in some way to get something done and this is the way he helps them get something done yeah and it it, it almost encompasses essentially and not to not to over summarize but it basically encompasses the next few hundred years for black men and women in this country within that monologue right it's like here we are you had no idea that you were black black was not a concept to you you were just people that lived on the, in this continent until these Dutch people came along and introduced you to the concept of being black. And it's something that it br- brought up again near the end of the episode with Chernobog when he starts talking about the fact that he is the black god and that he's not really that black, but he's black in comparison to his brother, referring to Bellabog, who is the white god, and how the fact that even though there's no concept of necessarily black and white where he is from, referring to you know the old Slavic culture where he was a deity, but they still found ways to argue and to fight over shades. And he even says, I believe, something along the lines of, you know, we were fighting over shades. And it's just this commentary of whether we have black or white, or we just have a bunch of white people who have differing views or just slightly difference between them, it seems to be human nature to find those differences and then start picking them apart and separating people because of those differences. Yeah, I didn't know much at all about Chernobog as a god, like who he was or anything like that. But he references, I, I from what um, Peter Stormare said, I get the feeling he was considered kind of the black sheep of a godly family. And yep. he had a brother who was more the goody two-shoes, the one that did everything right. And and he was more, you know, the the black sheep, the bad one, and and black in reference to something bad. Yep, yep. And they're taking a little bit of liberty with with the mythos behind uh, Chernobog with with this character, which is fine. But generally speaking, 
he was considered the black god. He was a god of misfortune, of bad luck, the god of death, darkness, and destruction. Um, he was intentionally malicious, um, corrupter of everything pleasant, which you kind of get that that experience, and we'll talk a little bit about that later, uh, you know, near the end of the episode, and kind of how he interacts with Shadow. But it, it's just so you know, almost off-putting when he's sitting at the table and they're all having dinner, and he just and just goes, "So you're black," and then just launches into his little monologue about the fighting over shades and just kind of the how matter-of-fact he is about it. And there's a lot of points in this, whether it's Orlando Jones's stuff, whether it's the lynching that we saw at the end of last episode and referenced again at the beginning of this episode, or whether it's just Chernobog just dropping, hey, you're black. There's a lot of uncomfortable moments, I imagine, for a lot of folks in here. And it's showing that the writers certainly have no qualms about smacking people in the in the face with social issues that we're currently having and giving them commentary through these characters. Most definitely. Uh, it's a show so far about people coming to America, right? Immigration. And so I think racism is going to be a theme that plays out throughout the entire show. That's my assumption. Um, that's how it's playing out so far. Yeah, and it would have been, I think what it would have been interesting, and maybe we'll get more of this, but a lot of these, in fact, all of these gods, you know, like you said, are coming to America on the minds and the, and the faith of these immigrants that we keep seeing at the, these beginning segments. And are we going to talk more about how all of these groups maybe have been the victim of racism or xenophobia? And not just, obviously, in this episode, which very much focused on black culture and people, you know, the slaves coming over from Africa. If we're going to see more of that through these characters like Chernobog and, and the sisters, or if we're going to see this even just like there was a lot of racism that happened when the Irish came over to America, right? You know, that has been summed up in movies like Gangs of New York, for example, right, where they kind of give you that view of what it was like to come over here as an Irish settler and how there was a lot of racism towards the Irish. And then how like a hundred years later, those same Irish people are now being racist towards other groups that come over and how it's this like vicious, endless cycle, how the group that was, you know, was the victim of racism or xenophobia at one point ends up becoming the portrayers of it later on in history. And I think that's a very interesting commentary piece we could potentially see carried out through the rest of these episodes. Yeah, it's unfortunate, really. When you, when you start to think about it, it's pretty uh, depressing about how racism is a common thread throughout the history of humanity. Definitely uh, with the coming to America story, for sure, it's part of that. But uh, racism happened you know, in all of these different cultures. And we'll probably see it play out, um, kind of like as you mentioned, as these cultures and people and gods make their way to America. Yep, yep. And so it's... Obviously, we don't see much of Orlando Jones's or any of Orlando Jones's character outside of the skit in this particular episode, but you can imagine that he's going to be uh, quite the interesting force. He he clearly can see not only the current world, but also the future, as we're led to believe by this flashback to him coming to America uh, with the slaves. It'll be interesting to see what he brings to the equation. It, it's also just kind of, I think, more so than in the first episode... It, it certainly opened the door for more social commentary. You and I talked before the show started about how we originally thought, you know, okay, we're going to come in and each one of these episodes is going to have a centralized theme and we're going to kind of ride that theme of faith throughout with a couple offshoots. But what it seems like is they're clearly going to, and we shouldn't be surprised by this, but they're clearly going to go after more and more of these uncomfortable social issues. And they certainly nailed this one on the head as far as the way to portray it and the way to make people who are not necessarily of these groups that are being... Um, the victims of racism and xenophobia feel a little uncomfortable just sitting there and listening to it. Um, yeah, most definitely. I, I mean, like a little bit later on in 
the episode itself, we, we see Shadow talking to Mr. Wednesday and he, he uses the, I mean, he tells him, he's like, he's like, I was lynched. Look at my neck. Like this was a lynching. This was a lynch mob. And so he, he I mean, he, he uses the word lynch and exactly what it is. And like, that's just another callback to these, these bad things that's happened in America in regards to race. Yep. And that's something that has been added to the television series. It was not necessarily part of the book. So they're clearly planning on making a little bit of a bigger point about this. And, and it makes sense. Again, contextually, if you think about you mean where we the, are. The, the, the callback to the lynching, that's something that's new for the The, the lynching series? itself was not necessarily part of the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that's something. He was attacked, and there was certainly that portion of it. But the fact that they've added this lynching element certainly leads you to believe that they're going to go after this racism thread a little bit stronger. And obviously, uh, Anansi's character... Also, you know, really kind of setting that tone at the beginning of the episode. It kind of colors how you view almost everything that is said in this episode. And, and I keep going back to just that conversation that Chernobog has at the table with the group and just how they clearly are saying not just obviously, here's this group of, of people who came over from Africa that were, were treated incredibly poorly, and it continues. You know, they, they basically have been set back, at this point, hundreds of years, possibly, by the racism that was inherent in the act of bringing them over as slaves. And then he opens the door to saying, look, this is going to happen no matter what. It's not necessarily an opposing view. It just broadens the scope of this depression, right? <laughs> like, you're already coming out of that initial segment going, oh, man, like, world screwed look what we've done to people like i can't believe as human beings were capable of this to do this to this group and then chernobog comes out in in, in a very characteristic way right he, he's again this god of misfortune he's being intentionally malicious and he wants you to just feel bad about the world and he comes out and he says look it doesn't matter white or black right and i come from a world where everybody's white but there's shades and people are always going to find those differences and latch onto them and find negatives in them no matter what whether it's skin color whether it's language and that's, I think, almost an even more powerful statement in the grand scheme of things than what we get out of that explosive performance at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, he's, he's talking a lot more in terms of a, a person's temperament or who they are, much less about like the way they look or the color of their skin, yep. and more about how society just thinks about them or regards them in general. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, certainly, certainly a depressing way to kick off the episode. Definitely. I mean, have, having the history of uh, your country summed up in that way, really, I mean, I think it does a good job of making you think about, man, th th this has been, this really has been, been terrible. Yeah. For, for a country as, as the U.S. that is so prideful and so nationalistic in, in large portions, and again, this is something that is very relevant to the, the commentary of the day, and to think that, like, we pretty, we started off, you know, fairly shitty as, as a country, right? Like the, these people that we tend to, to idolize this generation, you know, the founding fathers and things of that nature, like they were involved in this stuff that is really horrible. And, and it's, uh, it, it shakes you to your core. I, um, there was this great oatmeal cartoon that's been kind I of I was thinking the exact same thing about yep. that oatmeal piece. Yeah, there's this oatmeal piece that has been circling, you know, the internet for the past week or so. And, and it talks about like the, the chemical reaction that happens in your brain when you are presented with something that, that attacks your core belief system, right? You know, for example, 
if someone were to be a very devout Christian and somebody were to present them with tons of evidence to show that, you know, Jesus never existed or something of that nature and how it's not just like a mental personality thing. It's the actual same like fight or flight response that you get when you're physically threatened and how science backs this up is this is what happens and here's maybe some ways you can try to deal with it. But you need to understand this is kind of how the brain and how human beings work. And I feel like this show is going to poke at that for a lot of people. And and in the end, I hope it actually doesn't hurt the message of the show because what I don't want to see is more and more people drop off as the show goes on because of having those core beliefs challenged. And it seems like very much like that is exactly what the producers and writers of this show are going for, which is like, hey, this is maybe what you believe. You may believe this is this wonderful country that we live in, but we're going to peel back that layer of veneer and show you how ugly this country actually is, whether it's the, the faith stuff we saw in the first episode. Obviously, we there's a lot of racism and xenophobia talked about in this episode. We know we have characters coming up that are going to talk about the gun problem, which I'm sure is going to spin a lot more people up. It's certainly not shying away from <laughs> from poking at those people's fight or flight response when it comes to their core beliefs. Yeah, if you don't if you don't leave for uh, the uncomfortable political commentary, uh, then maybe you'll stick around for all of the erect penises. <laughs> I would like to get that photo framed. My question is the most important question. <laughs> They're definitely was, not shying away from the erect penis. Was that was that Dane Cook's penis? Is really penises for everyone? Wow. That should have been the title of the episode. <laughs> um, so we should talk about that. Uh, we will about some of the other noteworthy moments in the show. Obviously, we got a little bit more insight this episode into Shadow's relationship with Laura Moon. Um, not directly, but through flashbacks and dream sequences, which seems to be the way so far that the episode, the series is kind of sticking to introducing us to Laura. And we got like an, uh, what I'd say was actually a pretty interesting contrast because he's getting all these flashbacks of what life was with her. And then it's bookended by him opening up her phone and finding said penis picture. Yeah. He, he goes home and he sees the setting of like, welcome home shadow. The there's balloons and things in the house. And it was, you could see that she was decorating, trying to get it all nice for him to come home. And at the same time, he opens up the box of her, all of her belongings from from the morgue and finds the phone and scrolling through, he immediately goes to the chat app and the chat between her and his friend Robbie and scrolls a little bit and finds a, a, you know, a dick pic, of course. Well, everybody's phone's got one of those, right? Yeah, I send them all the time. (laughs) And apparently, now, I think some people didn't realize it was a little bit of a hallucination, but then he hallucinates at the picture on the table, which I believe is of the two of them. Yeah, it was, I think it's a picture of, of, of the two of them. And when that happened, it, it, it was almost a creepy moment. I was like, what the heck just happened? What? Yeah, he sees the picture of said penis um, framed on the dresser, which just kind of shows you. And then he just kind of, you, you feel like, and, and this may come back to haunt him, um, not to be too um, foreshadowing, but he, he seems to be done with her. Like, he seems to have signed off. He, he packs up the rest of the house. He ships it off to what we assume is going to be some sort of storage so he can either leave the house or sell the house and, and is kind of content. He has a little moment with uh, Mr. Wednesday where he's, Mr. Wednesday in his awesome way basically tells him like, you know, people are going to judge you, but not that hard if you leave her. You know, if you just forget about her, you get over it a little quicker than, than some people may think. And I thought that was a very um, poignant moment for Shadow where he's like, he, he almost kind of, in his own shadow-esque way, says, you know what, you're probably late. Let's get in the car and go. 
Yeah, he said he, he basically to the effect is is like you're only obligated to feel bad about this for so long. Yes. So 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 don't worry about it. And yeah, Shadow wasted no time boxing up all of her stuff. He he it shows him scrubbing the house, like cleaning everything up, and I think it's symbolically him trying to just wash away some of these memories because every time he thinks about her, the only other thing he can think about is that dick pic. So it's just kind of I think he's just tr- he's trying to get past it in one way or another. And one thing like with with everything going on in the show with the gods and all the crazy sequences, we kind you kind of forget sometimes that he just barely got out of prison. He hasn't yep. been at, at part of society for 3 years. And this is only like 3 days into this venture as as best as we can tell. Yeah, 3 like 3 days into this uh road tr- road trip through the stars. Yeah, it's uh Definitely interesting. So we got to see a little bit of that. We got uh, a revisit of Belquist. Now, this was... I didn't like the inclusion of this scene, if I'm going to be honest. And I'll tell you why. Because you set up this amazing shock factor, poignant moment with Belquist's introduction in the first episode. You're like, holy crap, what just happened? She just swallowed that man in her vagina. And you're left with this, like, holy crap, what just happened kind of moment in which they decide to follow it up by, no pun intended, beating you over the head repeatedly with more and more of those type of scenes. Yeah, I feel at, at this point, um, e- even, the, even in the first episode, it was, uh, in my opinion, a bit gratuitous. It, I, 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 I could understand what they were trying to do and the point they were trying to get across. But at this point, it is, it is 100% gratuitous, in my opinion. It shows that same scene over and over to no real end. There's no real reason why other than to be kind of flagrant gratuitous in my opinion. And 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 a good opportunity to show another erect penis for sure. Well, you need a few more of those. I, I think so you, you did find out where you go when you're when you're unbirthed or rebirthed or Yeah, and it looks like it, it it's probably a good thing. Like I wonder if that's an Easter egg in Guardians of the Galaxy where you're like flying around and you look off to the left and there's dude with a wrecked penis just floating through space. Oh my gosh. Could you see be. erect penis cosmic cosmic erect penis dude just floating be. there with a big old smile on his face. That was originally Kurt Russell's character before he got upgraded to ego. He was just gonna be a wrecked floating penis guy. Um I, oh I think there's goodness. a little bit to to suss out of this. I agree with your statements completely. I think there's a little bit to suss out. If you pay close attention, it does feel like her conquests or the people worshiping her are starting to satisfy her less and less. If you remember Yeah, you kind of see like diminishing returns sort of thing. And, and, I, and I guess that's the point they're trying to get across. They want to show it over and over because they're showing she's getting less and less out of it. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Because if you look at her face, you kind of see a little bit less, you know, exultation or satisfaction compared to what you saw in that very first scene. And then you get your first, I don't want to say your first hint, because obviously you're kind of drawing the conclusion already that she's one of the gods, but you kind of get this moment where she walks into a museum and she looks at this idol that is clearly crafted after her. She kind of has this moment of of almost longing for the old days, right? Like I remember when I used to be worshipped, and people cut the cut images of me out of stone and and bejeweled me, and now you know, kind of here I am going around and sleeping with these random people for satisfaction. And it's uh, yeah, it's, it's kind certainly of a, interesting. I feel like there's a better way to get there, though. Yeah, it was kind of like seeing the the statue, and she was reminiscing about the good old days, and feeling kind of melancholy. You see this kind of smile come across her face. You can tell like she's, she's a distant memory at this point for most people. And then we start to get 
a couple new threads in this episode too. Not necessarily anything we're going to, you know, we're going to hear more about, but not a whole lot that was carried out throughout the episode. So the first one was the, one of my favorite scenes from this episode was Shadow going through that, that Costco-like place, walks through a wall of TVs, and we get to meet Media, um, Gillian Anderson's character, and holy crap. One of, my, one of my favorite scenes from the book, and it played out a little bit differently in the book, but it, the gist is the same here. And she, again, another one of those strong monologues that comes out of this. The screen's the altar. I'm the one they sacrificed to. Then till now, golden age to golden age. They sit side by side, ignore each other, and give it up to me. Now they hold a smaller screen and their lap are in the palm of their hands so they don't get bored watching the big one. Time and attention, better than lamb's blood. Very relevant social commentary these days, and I, I thought it was a great introduction to her character. I thought she did an amazing job with it. And again, another thing that I think is going to ring home for people, especially if they continue to to play that thread out. Yeah, it was amazing. I I don't know what they did to make her look like Lucille Ball, or if she just looks that way. But I I couldn't recognize. I thought that was I Love Lucy. I did not recognize the actress and wouldn't have known right off the bat um, if, if I didn't know that Gillian was, was cast for that role. It, w- it was amazing. And the way, like it, the, the symbolic, like she has the, the, the cigarette and she's, you, it's, it's like she's blowing smoke, uh, you yep. know, to shadow, like feeling like just trying to like sweet talk him. But at the same time, she talks about uh, Wednesday and the technical boy Mm-hmm. And she seems to be kind of a third party in this whole thing. Yeah, it's hard to tell. So you could take it one of two ways. You could take it that way, or how I read it, it's taking your uh, smoke analogy a little bit further, is she kind of talks about how she's trying to achieve the same ends, but her means are very different. And she tries to kind of lure Shadow in with a little bit of honey versus a little bit of vinegar. Um, which she's, she's yeah, very what kind of honey? Is, what kind of honey is she talking about there? Hey, you ever wanted to see Lucy's tits? There was there was a lot of good lines that that yes. like you mentioned I I think this was a hundred percent a high point in the episode it's a it's an amazing scene it's another one of those jarring scenes where you're left super confused just like Shadow um, watching that and not having the context of the book or anything else I was left thinking here's another one of those crazy scenes what the heck is going on what does she want um, what's her motivation she doesn't seem to be part of wednesday's group that he's recruiting or the technical boy Mm -hmm. Um, but i'm not sure because if she is media it's and it's not blatant that she's media either um you just you kind of have to uh infer that based on things she said but is she is she kind of this third party does she represent uh, another group that we don't know about yet yeah and and that's not a hundred percent clear yet whether her undermining of Technical Boy is on purpose, or whether she's just trying to create the perception of undermining him in order to try to achieve a, the means via a different method. But she did manage to get another, yet another reference of something around Shadow's neck when she talks about she sees a lot of people like him and it always ends in suicide, and she wants to keep his neck out of a belt, I, I yeah. believe she says. Yeah, yeah. So we, we get that again, that hanging metaphor. And you're starting to wonder, like, is what they're telling us that, that he's on a clock, right? Like, does it feel like he, whether it's his association with Mr. Wednesday or just his life in general, you know, again, we go back to that original reference at the beginning of the show, which is that whole, you know, axe hanging above his head. And are people 
also are these gods noticing that and trying to use that against him where they're like, yep, he's going to die. Like he sees it, we see it. Um, his cellmate made the comment about being able to see it. It's certainly this idea that his life is on borrowed time that we're starting to see surface more and more throughout the episodes. It also makes you think that there is definitely something special about Shadow, right? Um, yep. Mr. Wednesday wanted him badly for his team. Uh, now media is trying to lure, lure him to work with her. And uh, at least from my point of view, it's still not 100% clear what makes Shadow special and why they're all vying for his attention. Right. Is there something along with this axe or this foreboding that is uh, helpful, at least, or useful to, to either side? Uh, we just don't know the answer to that yet or how many sides there are, but they're clearly... People want Shadow for some reason other than the fact that he is just around it. And I think that became the most apparent with media. I think when you saw his interaction with Technical Boy in the second or at the end of the first episode, it was more just like, hey, you're hanging around Wednesday. What can you tell me? This is the first time we've seen the other side actively try to recruit him. And yeah, with Technical Boy, it was more just interrogation and wanting to figure out some information about when, what Wednesday is up to, this was an overt attempt to get him to switch sides, no doubt. Yes. Yeah, so we'll see where that plays out. All of that may not matter if you look at the back half of the episode. So I think a lot of people felt this way, as did I, that the episode lost quite a bit of steam in the second half um, when we were introduced to the Zoria sisters, especially since a lot of people... Don't know. It's an obscure mythology reference. Um, again, Slavic mythology along with uh, Chernobog, the three sisters who represent the morning, evening, and midnight star. None of that information is given to you, so you're left. The, the watcher is left to suss out what exactly is going on, and I think we lose a little bit of the meaning behind what they're saying and what is happening in those scenes because we're not necessarily privy to what their powers are or their place in in the world and that makes it harder to to pick out those more easter eggish type comments they make or things that they may be saying that will lead you to to under you know why you should put stock in the things that they're saying yeah i would agree with you i guess except for the fact uh the checker scene peter stormer playing checkers with shadow is is i think one besides uh gillian anderson's uh scene in the department store is my second second favorite scene in this episode. I thought that was captivating. I, I could watch uh, Peter Stormare peel an onion, and it would be amazing. But I, 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 I guess I agree in the sense that when, when, he made, when they made it to Chicago and they were in that house, I had no idea who these people were, what gods they were supposed to represent. I had just no clue, but they were all kind of, they were all interesting to watch for sure. The actress that plays Zoria drinking the vodka and wondering, why are they there? What's going on? And then, of course, Peter Stormare opens the door and you can't just you just can't stop watching him and you can't wait to hear what he says next. And that's what's so hard because Cloris Leachman, who's playing the oldest of the Zoria sisters, obviously an amazing actress. There was great acting in the scene. And again, we, you know, talking about her previous comment about this thread of shadow's life potentially coming to an end they do a little uh coffee ground <laughs> reading as opposed to tea leave reading yeah i thought that was really funny i, I <laughs> tea is disgusting yeah it was a great little moment and you find out that you know clearly they who we be- are led to believe have some sort of powers of prophecy see the future 
in his coffee grounds and clearly think that he's not long for this earth either. And she makes the comment that... Your mother died of cancer. Yeah. You know die of cancer. In this very like ominous way, like you're gonna die of something else, but you're. But not it's funny how they lie to him to, to begin with. You're gonna live a long life with lots of beautiful children, and he's yeah, like, but- yeah. So why don't you actually give me the bad news? Yeah, I think I think he says that bad, huh? Yeah, very obvious knows, that they're trying. And to they mask. made a reference in the opening scene where she said the the older actress says. Uh, you should have me read it. The other, the other girls are garbage or whatever. Yep. And Mr. Wednesday, I think, says something about her. She knows how to tell the sweetest lies. De- definitely interesting. We're not sure exactly where that's going to go yet. We have the uh, third sister who I imagine is representing the Midnight Star who's always sleeping. So we still have to see what part she has to play in it. But we are left with, once again, for the second episode in a row, the question of what's going to happen with Shadow kind of left up in the air as he loses this checkers game with Chernobog, who wait, basically the wager was if Chernobog lost, he would go with Wednesday on whatever you know quest. We still don't really know what it's about yet. Or, we don't know what it's about, and we don't know how Chernobog plays into it, but Mr. Wednesday did reference him as his hammer. So yeah, he's some hammer. kind of like force to be reckoned with for sure. Yep, and we know that he. We already know that he's going around and trying to recruit people in some way or meet with people in some way because we do get that very brief scene in Chicago where he meets that man in the diner that we know nothing about yet, and we're we're led to believe there's something going on with that man because his eyes flash gold very briefly as shadows. It reminded me of in. the flaming buffalo, sort of like his eyes were on fire, sort of like what Shadow was seeing in his dreams. I have no idea if there's a connection there or not. No, but did you also notice just a random Easter egg? But the T-shirt from the motel that he's wearing has the same buffalo on it. I did not notice that. I did I did notice the t-shirt and thinking that's a really cool t-shirt and I bet people are going to make those. Yep. Well, when you look on T-Fury when they inevitably go up there, you'll be able to see it's the same buffalo from his vision in the first episode. So, well, there you go. Is. It's definitely going to get made. Someone out there is going to make that t-shirt. Yep, there's definitely something going on there. So, sorry. So, what you end up with is Chernobog if he wins, he gets to kill shadow essentially he talks about how he's got this hammer and the hammer is powered by blood and he used to you know his job used to be on the killing floor um where at this meat packer and he was in charge of kind of hitting uh the cows over the head And what i actually thought was interesting it was kind of i thought a fun way of doing it if you have followed any of the promotional material for this show you're constantly inundated with that image of him hitting a cow over the head with a hammer and then they start off your introduction to that scene with him standing over the cow. You assume that's what's going to happen, but instead he comes out with this little like mechanism that just like stamps him in the forehead and kills him. And it just is like so anticlimactic. And the fact that they led with that, I thought was just like a cool little tongue in cheek way of doing it for people who'd watched endless trailers and teasers where you just assume that's the scene you're about to see, but you get a uh, more of a sad trombone version <laughs> as far as Chernobog is concerned. Yeah, you get like the scene. boring death blow with the, the nail gun or whatever the machine is that he uses. That totally reminded me of No Country for Old Men and yep. the, the nail gun thing from, from that show. But yeah, yeah I agree. And he, he even makes a, he, like I think under his breath, he's like, it's like this new way of, of killing animals. Yeah, he's just very upset. So he he needs to power his hammer, so to speak, with blood, and he's apparently going to do it with Shadow's skull. So that's kind of where we're left, is that Shadow has lost this checkers match, and Chernabog is, you know, 
getting that hammer ready. And for the second episode in a row, what happened to Shadow? We don't know. We're going to have to wait. And I know that's not, oh, get everyone, no, there's cliffhangers, news to me. But I think it's interesting that we know he's going to die. How long are they going to be able to run with this, you know, is this going to be when he dies before people start going, yeah, he's probably not going to die. Like, he, he needs to make it to the end of the series, we assume. So, therefore, these threats to his life are no longer very interesting. Please find a new mechanic for <laughs> taking me from episode to episode. Exactly. I, I already ended this episode thinking, of course he's not going to die. That's going to make for uh, a, a boring rest of the season if the main person... But then again, it could be really awesome if they do kill him off and, hey, Shadow is no longer part of the TV series. But based on promotional material and everything else I've seen, I think he plays a larger role than that. All the things we've talked about up to this point would be very anticlimactic, right? All this like, oh, what is his, you know, what does he mean to all these people? Why are these people trying to recruit him? Kind of goes out the window if he's dead. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there was another, I don't know if it was just like all of the erect penises and then the hammer being this like phallic (laughs) thing where he's stroking it and then blood like starts spurting out of it. And I'm just like, Man, there's a lot of like phallic stuff going on here. Oh, but one question I had for you, and I don't know if this is something from the book, but when Turner Bog first shows up, he reference he calls Mr. Wednesday Votan. Yeah. Does that is there any meaning there? Like I didn't catch it. I actually rewatched that scene with the subtitles on so I could yep. understand more because everybody's talking and they're just like low gruff voices. It's yep. hard to catch stuff. So I turned on the, the caption so I could read it, and he calls him Votan. I didn't even pick that up the first time, and I have no idea what that is in reference to. Yep. Do some Googling. I don't want it, to... It's a it's Yeah, a I was hesitant spoiler. to Google it because I didn't know if it was going to be some kind of... I don't know. I, di- I didn't want to know what it was before asking you about it on the show. Yeah, I mean, so I'll say this. If you kind of caught onto our hints about Wednesday from episode one... Um, this is another feather in that cap, so to speak, um, as far as the theory of, of uh, how this all relates to Wednesday and who Wednesday is. So if you gotcha, gotcha. If you if you follow those things, here's another uh, Easter egg for you to go off and search. If you did not figure it out from episode one, I'd say this one. If you want to know, Google it. If you don't want to know, don't Google it because it will give it away for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. I was I was just trying to uh, trick you into um, pissing off a whole bunch of listeners out there. <laughs> You're like, ha show's over. Like Shadow, we worry about the show ending after every episode. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so overall, I'd say solid episode. Um, it's This is interestingly from you know my brief surfing around all the internet forums, looking on Reddit, looking at reviews on various sites last night. Almost everybody kind of has mixed. Some people think this was even better than episode two. Some people thought this was far worse than episode two. It's certainly divisive, and maybe that's what they were going for. In my opinion, I, I kind of enjoyed it more than episode one, just because it introduced more characters. I felt it moved us moved us along a bit more, even though I'm totally still clueless about the overarching thread here besides racism and immigration. I, I don't know what Wednesday's up to. I know there's multiple camps of gods perhaps involved. But I'm still pretty clueless. What I really enjoyed was the dialogue and the scenes. The scene in that Chicago home, it felt like something out of a completely different era. They they the dinner, the like the dinner that they served, the dialogue, the things that the things that were going on, the the decor, it all looked really awesome. Um Shadow finally going home and the flashbacks and him 
you know, reminiscing about his wife, I thought helped a lot with his backstory and their relationship. I thought it was very entertaining. But then again, uh, Ian McShane is your spirit animal. Peter Stormare is mine for sure. And he is <laughs> both like terrifying. You're not sure if he's just going to kill everybody. He just, he looks terrifying. But at the same time, he's like the most likable person on screen. It's uh, again, th- and I think this is going to be the story of American Gods is, is it going to be, it's almost hard to even say greater than the sum of its parts. Is it going to be deserving of the sum of its parts or is it going to somehow be lesser than the sum of its parts? The individual performances have been amazing so far. Um, I think the only person I've seen any you know, concerns with or people not really getting into their performance is Ricky Whittle and Shadow. People are still kind of a little torn about him, but everybody else is just nailing it so far. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the series itself can tie everything together in a way that makes the viewer more, you know, feel like this was worth their money, right? Is this, has this really been, you know, there's all these great performances and there's individual moments that I will remember, but is, but is that all you will remember about the show or will you remember kind of how it all got tied together at the end of the season or at the end of the run? And that's the question I think that is still a bit up in the air. Yeah, they definitely need to open up basically show their hand a little bit more because uh, I think they're going to lose more and more people or people are going to get bored as we have just these almost one-off scenes that are great taken on their own, but we still have no idea how they all fit together. And if they don't start revealing a bit more of that, I'm already feeling anxious and want. it's it's actually making me want to go read the book because I'm feeling anxious about, okay, how's this going to play out? Who is this dude and how does he fit with Mr. Wednesday and what he's up to. Mr. Wednesday, he, he tells Shadow, Shadow. About that little shit in a big limo. An assault on you is an insult to me. Don't think because I didn't lose my temper, I'm not angry or I'm lacking a plan. But we still don't have any inkling what that plan is. I imagine at this point, if you have not read the book, it's getting a little too inside baseball for you and you just want a little bit more information. I think you can only make it another episode or two without something that draws in those non-book readers so they can go, aha, that's what's going on. Because I feel like we haven't gotten enough of that and we only have eight episodes this season. And I think that is the most telling piece is, you know, when episode three comes out next week, we're approaching the halfway mark very, very quickly. So for viewers to not know what's going on to the point of a third or a half of the, sh- of the season run is potentially a problem. And we just don't, we won't know. Like, all we can do is wait for the next episode to see how much more they're going to dish out to the viewer in order for them to know what's going on. But you could also make the inverse argument that it's not like the book didn't do the same thing. I think that's the thing to keep in mind is it's not like it's being you know, purposely playful with the television viewer in a way that it wasn't to the reader. We were just as in the dark as readers as you are as a television audience. I just think the the book reading crowd is a little bit more accustomed to, you know, a slow burn as opposed to people that watch television, maybe not so. But this is a test of, of this, you know, current golden age of television, right? Like is, have people matured enough in their TV watching to be willing to give the show the entire eight episodes, um, before they make judgment and if they don't get any sort of resolution or any sort of idea what's going on until it's titled together in episode eight, is that something that is going to be okay for the television? Audience? Like you mentioned, 
they're going to have to rely on something other than is Shadow going to die to carry the viewers from episode to episode. They need to rely on the story itself and and interesting things happening and us wondering where this road trip is going to end up more than is Shadow going to live or is Shadow going to die. And that's exactly kind of where we're at going into the next episode, right? We're going to uh, find out if Shadow lives or dies. We're going to find out what if Turnbog is going to hit him with his hammer. The series, of course, will be back next week with Head Full of In the pines, in the pines, where the sun